Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sunday, March 26, 2023. Welcome to The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can subscribe to my work and get exclusive access to bonus content, live Q&As and more at patreon.com slash five minute news. Joining us today is the former Chief Assistant District Attorney of the Manhattan DA's office and co-host of the Legal AF podcast, Karen Friedman Agnifilo. Karen, welcome back to The Weekend Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, you must be pretty busy at the moment. Um, Even though you're not in the DA's office anymore, you have knowledge, you have connections, and you have instinct. And that's really what I'm kind of interested to kind of tap into today. Um, Donald Trump said or told his base uh, last Saturday that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. Turned out that was a lie. Everybody fell for it. Media fell for it. His base fell for it. There was about six people protesting outside Trump Tower. Um, it's turning out now that even just saying that and pushing for his uh, Republican friends to write a letter to Alvin Bragg to kind of say what you're doing is unconstitutional and we want more information, that in itself could be a crime in, in New York State. Is that right? Well, if, you know, potentially, yes, I guess it could be. Um, it's, you know, he's what he t- what he tweeted on the 24th on Friday uh, about, you know, there's going to be death and destruction. I mean, that's like a clarion call for mayhem. You know, really what he should be saying is, is um, I can handle this and surrender and take it like a man and fight it in the courts the way everybody else does who claims and proclaims their innocence. But instead, he's acting like a cornered, scared, um, you know, dog and he's lashing out and and basically saying there's going to be death and destruction in the streets if this happens which his supporters all know what that means that's a call to do what they did on January 6th and he's trying to intimidate and bully the Manhattan DA's office and the New York City Police Department and it's not going to work his bullying tactics will not work and the district attorney is going to put his head down and follow the facts wherever they lead. And if it's appropriate to charge him with a crime, that's what he will do. The irony of all of this is that Trump has denied that he's incited violence on January 6th, right? And so Jack Smith is looking into that aspect, you know, in the insurrection. And yet here he is again inciting violence once more. I mean, he's he's effectively destroying his own case, isn't he? Well, he's he he has this fascinating quality to him, which is if you say something, it makes it true. And that's what he believes, you know, whether it's, you know, the, whether it's, you know, I have the biggest crowd at my inauguration and then you don't or like he'll just say things as if they are true. And so sometimes he does them, I think, to bait, you know, to bait you for information. And that's what I think the Tuesday, I'm being arrested Tuesday was for. I think he couldn't stand the fact that he didn't know and that he had no idea when it was happening. So that if he were to say, I'm being arrested Tuesday, he could bait the Manhattan DA's office into giving him information or leaking information. But, but the DA's office, you know, typically they're very good about not leaking, you know, and, and um, so, you know, he, he does things for different reasons, but uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine as as why he says certain things, but he he will just actually make stuff up. It's it's ridiculous to me. There's no, there's no the truth doesn't matter to him. What's so interesting is he he really in this kind of moment of of anxiety, and we're feeling his anxiety through his truth social posts. It, it's really kind of exposing what we all assumed was this you know this this intense 
kind of in- inane uh, self obsession and 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 upset. You know, mental illness basically on on full display, and it comes out in this kind of stream of consciousness with these messages, without, as you say, no consideration for the legal ramifications. Because the more he seems to type, the 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 more obvious it is that this guy is completely unfit for the role of president or even, you know, leader of the Republican Party as a candidate. Yeah, he's completely unhinged. I mean, his all cap screeds where he just, you know, basically calls for violence. I mean, everybody knows what he's talking about. And he just, you know, he says things like, it's not me that's being arrested, it's you that's being arrested. You know, it's China and Russia are laughing. Yeah, China and Russia are laughing at us because we elected you. I mean, that he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't have any sense of what he's doing and saying, yet it works. It works for his base. I, I, you know, it's, it's a fascinating, I think, look into the division in our country that's been simmering, you know, for, for, you know, for a century, you know, for centuries. I mean, and he's just bringing it all out right now at this moment in time. Just explain the kind of legal ramifications of, of, you know, because obviously most of us have been wanting this guy to be arrested ever since he tried to extort Vladimir Zelensky on the telephone. You know, it's like, he, you know, he was impeached for that. And that's really where this whole saga should have ended. But because he was given a pass by the Republican Senate at the time, he then went on to keep committing these crimes. And then, of course, COVID and, and you know, that was death and destruction and, and, and negligence on, on his behalf. But the, the biggest concern amongst um, people kind of watching this is, is he ever going to face the music? You know, is Alvin Bragg going to make this happen? And and just explain how there might be a kind of coordinated effect. If once there is an indictment, of course you've got you've got uh, Georgia, you've got Fanny Willis, you've got Letitia James, you've got all these other people after him. In addition to the special counsel, how does it integrate? How does it come together? It, you know, because they're not going to do this unless they're absolutely certain that they've got him on multiple counts, right? Well, look, it's it's interestingly, it's not coordinated at all. These are all separate investigations and separate uh, separate entities that are looking into him. The only thing that was coordinated was the Letitia James civil investigation into um, his his uh, properties and his finances and his her sweeping $250 million civil case was coordinated with the Manhattan DA's office investigation. They were actually joint investigations. Um, that investigation into the valuation of his assets, where he overinflated or underinflated his assets, depending on when it suited him, you know, whether he would, he would lie about the square footage of his apartment so that he could, you know, take out a bigger loan or pay less taxes, whatever, whichever one it suited him. And um, and that investigation is still ongoing at the Manhattan DA's office. That was one that, uh, if you recall, about a year ago, there were two um, two senior uh, assistant DAs who resigned very publicly because Alvin Bragg, only two months into his into his tenure, he they thought that there was enough evidence, and and Alvin Bragg wasn't ready to bring that case at that moment, and they you know basically had a temper tantrum and and took their crayons and went home. And one of them wrote a book about it um, as if he somehow knows better as if someone, you know, elected him DA and he has his judgment and knows better. And, and I think, you know, that, that particular case, um, Alvin's been saying publicly that that's still um, pending and still open and they're still working on that. But um, I, I now wonder whether that is still has any viability given this book that has now infused politics and and other things into a case that it's really, kind of compromising the investigation it's in a completely way, it? compromised but, it. but what kind of a person is working at the manhattan da's office with that mentality that they would then go out and write a book and compromise the whole thing i mean 
you know, who who is this person? Yeah, he look, he never worked at the Manhattan DA's office before. He uh he never ever worked there. He came in, you know, he was he was a federal prosecutor and and um then he's been a defense attorney for a long time. I don't know him. I've never worked with him. Um but then he but he uh was brought in to do this case and frankly, you know, I have to say for him to write this book um to have the judgment to write this book to me um, shows that Alvin Bragg actually was right not to trust his judgment, frankly. Um, so it helped he, the other side a lot, didn't completely, it? I mean, completely. Trump he, and, and his surrogates, they used that, that moment of disarray to, to basically say that, you know, this was a, a, a corrupt investigation. Look, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that book. First of all, there are some, you know, lots of several people, including Ellie Honig, has written kind of, all of the, you know, things that are wrong about the book, you know, factually as well as um, intellectually, as well as politically. And uh, and so people should read that. It's really, you know, but but I also I take issue with it, too, because he he goes after the, you know, line assistants in the office. And he I, I don't know, I just the whole thing to me is is shows really poor judgment. And and now like I said, now any prosecution there would look political, frankly, because because of what he has done. And and politics don't belong anywhere in prosecution. It really has to be separate. It really has to be without fear or favor. You know, you're, the DA is always a Democrat in New York City or in Manhattan, I should say. Um, and, you know, they, they have to be able to prosecute without fear or favor, you know, Democrats and Republicans alike. And, and for those and for Donald Trump, who thinks that this was a this is a political prosecution and that that Alvin Bragg, you know, is coming after him just because it's big for political reasons. If that were the case, why wouldn't Alvin Bragg have brought that other case that was allegedly ready to go two months into his tenure? I mean, that was, you know, that could have been that would have been the easiest thing you could have done. Right. If, if this was nothing but a political I'm going to get Donald Trump, you know, they handed him a case that they temper tantrum stormed away saying it was ready. I shouldn't say they, you know, the other, the other ADA Carrie Dunn is actually an extraordinary, excellent attorney who I worked with. And I think he's phenomenal. And, and as far as I can see, he didn't leak his resignation letter or have anything to do with this book. But, um, but the other one, Mark Pomerantz is, is the one whose judgment I have to say, I, I really, you know, when, when they first resigned, I thought to myself, you know, wow, are, are these kind of, are they national heroes, you know, but <laughs> But I, I now really have to say I'm, I'm so I'm kind of appalled actually. But back to your question uh, about about these various cases and any coordination. You know, really, prosecutors don't work like that. They don't. They're not. They're, they're not out there conspiring to get Donald Trump. You know, they're looking at the facts and the evidence and and seeing what evidence is admissible in court. And they're not thinking about politics and violence and all the things Donald Trump is trying to do. They're, they're really, without fear or favor, thinking about, um, you know, did this person commit a crime and can I prove it? And if so, I'm going to hold them accountable because nobody is above the law. And, you know, this the whole charging charging Donald Trump with falsifying a business record, which is what I think they're going to charge him with here, and I'll, I'll explain that in a minute, is the bread and butter of the Manhattan DA's office. It's 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 charged, you know, Ryan Goodman uh, published a piece, an opinion piece in the New York Times um, this week about um, about a study that he and another individual, I think it was Andrew Weissman and he, uh, for just security about, they surveyed the last, I think, 10 years, how many times all five, you know, New York City DAs have charged falsifying a business record. And it's, you know, so many times, right? It's like, it's like, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens every year. Everybody charges it. This is not some, you know, so regular people are charged all the time for f- with falsifying a business record in the first degree. And, and the elements of this crime are, you know, that you with the intent to defraud, uh, you make a false entry in a, a business record and. Um, and that is a misdemeanor. Right. So you intend to defraud and you make a false entry into a business record. The, the what makes it a felony so what bumps it up to a felony is if you would you by doing so you're either concealing or committing a crime if you are if you're intending I should say to conceal or commit a crime you don't have to prove that you did commit a crime or concealed a crime just that you intended or you meant to or you were trying to 
And so that's that's the um, the elements of the crime here. And that's what I believe the the case that um, Alvin Bragg is looking at. And and the facts of the case that lead to that are, you know, it's been well publicized that um, a couple of weeks before the 2016 election, uh, Stormy Daniels um, got in touch with um, the National Enquirer and offered to sell her story that she had an affair with Donald Trump. And um, Donald Trump didn't want that to get out. And so Michael Cohen uh, arranged with David Pecker to pay her $130,000. And that came from Michael Cohen and, and Donald Trump paid Michael Cohen back. But rather than just giving him a check for a hundred you know, if, if Donald Trump had just written him a check for $130,000, yeah, would have saved a whole, a whole lot of bother, right? This wouldn't even be a crime, right? Yeah. There, there'd be no crime here other than potentially, you know, I guess he could be prosecuted um, for trying to influence the election. If, if, you know, if there was evidence of that um, in and of itself, you know, federally, but here, what he did instead was he wrote. So then he gets elected as president. And he, 11 different times, while he's the sitting president, 11 times, he writes these these checks and classify them in a business record, a business entry as a legal retainer, which there was no such thing. And so, you know, we had a sitting president actively committing a crime and faking the books and records of his organization while he's president of the United States. You know, and for anyone to say that that's not a serious crime I mean, first of all, he this you know this is the first time he tried that we know of that he tried to influence uh, the results of his presidential election by doing this, right? And of course, he tried again with the big lie, you know, four years later, and you know all the all the other um, all the other things that he was doing there, but um, you know, trying to you know stop the electoral count, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but here he's trying to influence an election and then committing a crime 11 different times while he's sitting president. So for anyone to say this, is why this one, this isn't serious. I don't know. I don't I don't see that at all. I see it as well, very the, the, serious. The opposition is kind of saying it's an administrative error. That's that's the language that they're using. You know, it was it was just administration that was wrong. And how can that be a crime? Because yeah, he was because he was trying, trying to, to hide it because he was trying to hide it from Melania. He says he wasn't trying to influence the election. But, you know, OK, so Melania goes and look what. When was the last time Melania went and looked at the the um, business records and the entries into the books and records yeah. of the Trump organization? Like that just, you know, doesn't happen. It's it's not a very strong argument, is it? I just want to mention something about the politicization of, of the of the DA's office, because, you know, the the fact that Alvin Bragg has to publicly announce that he is a Democrat. You know, it's like whenever you see his name written in brackets, it says Democrat after it. From where I come from in Europe and certainly the way the law works in the UK, nobody in any kind of law enforcement or the legal departments would ever have to talk about their politics because politics should not be in in the law, right? So for me, it's completely alien, the idea that you would, you would have to kind of nail your colours to the mast. And and because it, obviously it can be used against you. And Donald Trump is not just saying that he's a Democrat and therefore he's out to get him, but he, he's also claiming it's racist because Alvin Bragg is black and Donald Trump is white. And, you know, he, he's playing the white race card. I mean, just explain if the U.S. has ever operated in a non-political fashion in this kind of legal system. Is this a new thing? I mean, because to me... I, I don't get this one. I don't blame you. It's um, I agree with you. So the U.S. isn't a monolith. Obviously, it's you know made up of fifty states, and there's also the federal government. And so, and within each state, there are there are counties and cities and et cetera, et cetera. And I say that because so so there are prosecutors at all levels across the United States. Right there's the uh, U.S. attorney um, for each. Each, the, the Department of Justice, right, is federal, and they appoint U.S. attorneys within each um, within each district, if you will. Um, so those are appointed positions, but they're still slightly political, right? Because a Democratic president is going to install Democratic, uh, you know, U.S. United States attorneys, and you know, 
as the head, the line prosecutors, politics has absolutely play nothing into the line prosecutors. No one even knows what you are, you know, and you're not allowed to get involved in politics in the Manhattan DA's office because of what you just said. You know, you're not supposed to be political at all. You just go and do your work. And I couldn't I could tell you what a few people's politics were, but not necessarily most because most people, you know, it's not a thing in the office. But but so just getting back to the rest of the country. So then you have the attorneys general, which is the highest state level like Letitia James is the attorney general. That's also, that's an elected position. Uh, I don't know if that's elected in every state or some states may appoint their attorney general. I don't know. But then you get to the DA level, the district attorney level. And in, in New York state, there are 60 district attorneys because there are 60 counties and each one is elected and, and each one is the highest law enforcement officer of that state. And it you know it is i agree with you it is sort of strange but i don't i don't know if other states have appointed positions or elected positions but i agree with you it does a disservice you. doesn't it to the public it large. really does and you know i remember when i was with Cy Vance, um i remember one case in particular that he got a lot of heat for not bringing um you know it was a it was a not a democrat versus republican kind of case but it was a you know, a, a high profile case um, that he got a lot of heat for not bringing. And people were saying it's because a particular a particular defense attorney donated to his campaign. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, I, you know, I was the one who's very involved in that decision. I had I have zero window into who donates to what campaign. You know, I'd never I know it's public information, but never looked at it, you know, never thought about it. It was never a thing. But, you know, people, uh, because you are an elected official, you have to go out and raise money unless you're independently wealthy. And that creates potential, the appearance of conflicts. But as the person sitting there making the decision, there was no conflict, like I said, but the, but the public and the press, it's like they, they want to see something where it doesn't exist um, but you know, you have to be aware of that. And as a result, it does create a problem. I, I do think the, the best way to, um, to elect a prosecutor would be nonpartisan and not, you know, you don't, you don't accept money from people because, you know, it's, it just makes it, it, inf it infuses an unnecessary level of politics and other questions and other compromise, you know, compromising questions into into um, decision making about cases maybe you're like me and you sometimes struggle with what to wear finding pieces that go together and the hassle maybe of changing clothes for different activities well roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable breathable and flexible set of products commuter collection offers the world's most comfortable clothes you never have to worry about what to wear when you have the roan commuter collection and with roan's wrinkle release technology wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products with gold fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner all together. I personally love feeling fresh. I love a technical fabric, and that makes me kind of confident knowing that the, the clothes are looking after themselves. Well, the commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash weekend show and use promo code weekend show to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to roan, R-H-O-N-E dot com slash weekend show and use code weekend show. It's time to find your corner office comfort. But the tragedy of that is that it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And, well, it didn't you know, the, the Supreme Court is stacked in, in, a, in, a, in a conservative direction or an extremist uh, direction, if you consider, you know, even, even um, uh, Roe versus Wade reversal is, would be considered an extreme position. And yet it was, you know, very clearly a, a majority decision on the Supreme Court because Donald Trump was able to to pack the court in, in that way. But 
as I say, from a, from my perspective, and you know, the British judicial system, legal system, is, is revered around the world. Do you think it's revered because it is non-political, and because I, I just cannot see how anybody can get justice at whatever level, whether it be Supreme Court right the way down to to a kind of a local a local court, if if there is politics involved, and it's it and it's as you say, it's right that the U.S. kind of loves to have teams. There's this obsession, you know, it's like it's sports, it's cheerleaders, it starts in schools where they try and, you know, pit pit people against each other. This concept of, of competition I've been is very to, I'm infused sorry, in the culture, isn't I, it? I've been to an English soccer game, or I should say football game. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't necessarily make that, you know, but, American. But, but, but judges pretty... don't talk about their football allegiance. They you know? don't? <laughs> okay. not, not really, no. All right. Yeah, look, you know, no, we're, look, we're, it wasn't like this before, you know, it wasn't always like this. It, it's, it's just. When was the change? Give me the, give me the year. Like when, when do you think the the shift happened? Look, judges are, judges, some across this country, some judges are elected, some judges are appointed. You know, there's a, and even in New York, you have both, you have the New York state trial level courts have both elected and appointed judges. It's a mixture. And it's, I couldn't necessarily tell you the politics of most of the judges or any of the judges, because although you, although that's, you run or you, you know, get appointed by a particular person, you're supposed to look at the law, right? You're not supposed to necessarily put your own opinion. You're supposed to just call balls and strikes, you know, and, and just be really objective. And, and, and I think our judicial system use, we, we used to think our judicial system was like that. And that's what we believed. And, you know, I think what we're seeing now is that it's not necessarily the case. You know, I'm not sure it necessarily, I don't know that it changed or that we became more aware. I mean, we, you know, to, to be completely honest, you know, for the first 20 years that I was a prosecutor, I felt that, you know, we wore the white hats and that we did always did the right thing, et cetera, without any, without any kind of self-reflection or insight into the fact that, that we were by and large only, you know, incarcerating people of color and how racist the criminal justice system is, even if, you know, I, I, I used to find that I used to ha- find that to be very hard when people would say things like that to me because I would say, well, I'm not racist, you know, but but thankfully the you know we have we have educated ourselves and we have learned enough to see what mass incarceration has done you know, what we have done to people of color in the United States. And so although we thought we were calling balls and strikes, you know, we really weren't, frankly. We were, you know, we were really just focusing on one thing. And and so I think our awareness has changed about what's going on in our judicial system, whether it's judges or prosecutors or anybody else. And that's why Donald Trump calling... Uh, calling Alvin Bragg an animal, putting up a meme where he has a baseball bat to his head, and essentially saying the law doesn't apply to me because I'm privileged and white. It, you know, that's what he's saying, and 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 that's what he's trying to. When he says make America great again, that's what he's trying to do. He wants to go back to the other way when it was just, you know, put the what he considers animals in prison hold them accountable. You know, the, the, you know, when he, when there was, when the Black Lives Matter protests happened and people were protesting and looting in the streets, you know, there was a, there was a huge divide about whether or not that's violent or that's protest. Right. But, you know, and so, and he, and he'll be the first one, him, him and all his, his people will be the first ones to say, you know, those are violent animals, you know, Alvin, control your own people, control your own crime. Well, directing your attention to Jan 6 and Marjorie Taylor Greene going to prison to visit the people who are in prison and calling them patriots, the ones, the the thousand people that the Department of Justice have prosecuted for the insurrection. You know, 
make no mistake, this is all about race. This is not, this is, when he says make America great again, he's saying make America white again. Make America, you know, the place where the white people can get away with, you know, cooking the books and and faking the business records or not declaring things on taxes or, you know, we all did it where, you know, my property's worth this or not worth that because I can get a loan or not get a loan. You know, all the old boy club people, that that's what they all did. And that's what they all do. And God forbid you try to hold one of them accountable. And suddenly, you know, and suddenly it's, well, it's reverse racism, you know, and it's political and it's whatever else he wants to say. But, you know, racism in this country is, I have, I believe, is this country's original sin. You know, slavery is our original sin. And, and we need to figure out a way to move on from it because we never have, you know, whether it's, whether it's started, you know, it's, it started with slavery and it is, you know, continued throughout history uh, where, you know, we've had segregation and we've had Jim Crow laws and we've had it so that people can't, you know, when you look back at like even just real estate, you know, you couldn't get a loan because you were black, you know, or in certain areas because you were black. And as a result, they can't get generational wealth, you know, et cetera. And, and schools and whatever, like it's, it's just until, until we resolve this issue. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't have any idea what the answer is. You know, I'm not, calling for any particular, you know, um, response to it. But it is a problem. It is a problem. And well, we have- the answer is the answer is wokeism, isn't it? I mean, really, that's no, the answer well, you know is for everybody but- to be to be thoughtful about minority groups and people who who are going to have a harder uh, route in life because of these historic um negatives regard, regarding you know the, the the historical timeline of the of the US and yet wokeism is being used as in a kind of abusive term to to across across everything now. Yeah, you know, but that was I will like say, the one chance to twist it to turn this around wasn't yes, it? Yes. Yes. You're right, but I think the wokeism people have gone a little too far. I mean they they get a little out of they get a little a little out of control with, you know, some of the stuff they say. I think it's education. It's not wokeism. You know, it's yes. But aren't they the same thing? I mean, wokeism is just a is just a, a phrase. It's become a, a meme. I know. But my, my, ultimately, my, it, is, my, it is education. My uh, my twenty six year old daughters are probably hopefully they'll never hear this because they'll you know they'll be so upset with me for making what that statement what I just said. Um, you know, I guess I don't know. There there are times when when you know I sometimes hear certain. I, I think I think education. I think. Look, I educated myself, you know, when when Cy Vance became district attorney, the first thing he did, and this was in 2010, the first thing he he did was he said, you know, we're going to bring the Vera Institute of Justice into the DA's office and I want to do a racial bias study. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm not I'm we're not racist. I'm not racist, you know, and that's what everyone thought. And and rather than get my, you know, hackles up and get up and and say, you know, what are you talking about? I said, you know what, I want to educate myself on what people are saying. People are saying that there are, that there is racism in the criminal justice system. I, I truthfully didn't get it. I didn't see it. I thought, you know, I've been helping black people my entire career. You know, I've, I've sat in my office hugging, you know, black moms who's, who've, who've, who've black sons have been murdered by, you know, by people and I'm helping them and I'm, you know, being with them and I'm loving them. And, and so I'm not racist. What are you talking about? I'm helping the people, you know, the, the black people in our community. And so I didn't under, I truly didn't understand what, what people were talking about. Um, and I'm, I'm, feel very lucky that I had the opportunity to educate myself. And, you know, what, what changed for you? Like, what was the, what was really the, the trigger point for you that made you realize that your you, you maybe were not weren't doing enough, but you hadn't fully understood the scale of the problem. Was it, was it your white privilege that did it? Yeah, I get, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I, I read, I, I, what I did was I, I watched a few movies like 13th. I read a bunch of books. I participated in a Harvard executive session, actually two of them, 
you know, where you, it, it had, and, and, and frankly, it was people of color around me who didn't, you know, who on the one hand felt like it's not my obligation to educate you. It was exhausting for them because, you know, they were, there were people of color in the DA's office in particular who were prosecutors who were having their own personal reckoning about what they've, the damage they've done and, um, and you know, what was happening, uh, in, in society. And, you know, they were exhausted at having to explain it over and over and over again. Um, and I, really appreciate that they didn't give up and that they kept going and, you know, kept educating society at large. And rather than turning away from it, I tried to educate myself. And, you know, honestly, my kids had a lot to do with it. You know, I remember during the, I know, I know we were here to talk about Donald Trump. So if you, if you That's tell okay. me, if this, you is want, this is important. Tell me if you want to stop this, but I remember during my, so my, my kids are in their twenties and, um, and, during a couple of years ago when the, um, when the black lives matter protests were, you know, it was like George Floyd and, and the, and there were lots of protests and looting in the streets. Um, the Manhattan DA's office, I was chief assistant at the time. And I think it was also during the pandemic. So most people were working remotely. And so, you know, you would, you would, um, you had this like fear of, you know, this was before the vaccine and all that. So you had this like fear of death, right? You're like, you're like, people were dying left and right in New York city. It was, we were, we were one of the places in the, in the world that, you know, got, yeah, it, was, it was like a war zone. It was like a war zone and, and a lot of people were losing loved ones. And it was, it was a really challenging time just from a, you know, emotional standpoint like that. And then at the same time you had these, you know, black lives matter, um, protests and um, things happening in the street. And, and, and there were a lot of people of color in the office who were really having a lot of um, feelings about what was going on and about their role as a prosecutor. And it was during that time, I think that we were, we were, we were having these meetings, these zoom meetings with, you know, various groups of people in the office and hearing what they had to say. And, and in the middle of it, um, I remember there was a, a case where, or, or a situation where, um, there was a, there was a black lives matter protest and there was one of the leaders of the, of the protesters who took a bullhorn and, um, put it up against a female police officer's ear and um, I guess screamed in it or, or pre you know, did that loud noise and broke her eardrum. And, you know, that's that's considered assaulting a police officer and which is a felony. And and so the police reviewed the videos of who did it and figured out who it was and figured out where he was and decided to go out and arrest him. And normally an arrest like that is a simple, you know, you you go out and you you put handcuffs on a person and arrest them. But, you know, the police basically treated him like he was Osama bin Laden. You know, they did a whole, they had helicopters above his house. They had, you know, surrounded him with like SWAT teams and whatever. And he live streamed it on Facebook the entire time. And, you know, like Facebook live or whatever. So I have my kids, because since I'm working from home, my adult children watching this poor guy, you know, sitting in his house with, you know, live streaming this thing where he's going, you know, I think I'm going to die. You know, uh, I'm black and the police are surrounding my house and they are, you know, they have guns and SWAT teams and they're, you know, helicopters and I'm under siege. Like, I think I'm going to die. So I'm live streaming this all. So you all see it. And my kids are like, mom, you're the number two in the D Manhattan DA's office, do something. Meanwhile, I'm telling them to stop talking to me because I'm on the phone talking to the prosecutors on the other end because the cops were like, we need an arrest warrant to go into this guy's house to arrest him. And then we had a, you know, and so I have like from both sides, I have the cops saying, you know, we need an arrest warrant. I've got my kids like basically, you know, mom, look what's happening. And um, 
you know, and I just remember at the time thinking, you know, this is a, this is a big decision, right? You know, this is a really big decision. And, and, you know, that, that for me, so PS, we didn't give them the the arrest warrant. We gave the, the guy a opportunity to surrender the next day, which, which he did. And, you know, he, he surrendered and he, you know, was held accountable for what he did. But, that, but, but that's the lesson, isn't it? That letting someone go and picking them up another day is a far more mature move than shooting them in the back when they're running away. And that really is, is the, the tragedy of, of the American justice system is that it never gets to court because a police officer thinks that from a traffic stop somebody deserves to be executed on the side of the road. Yeah, so look, this is the the other side of that is, you know, if you look at how many times, you know, the NYPD responds to something like a million 911 calls a year, right? And and you know, and how many fatalities are there a year? One, two, which is one or two too many, but the other you know, million minus two times they do show restraint and they do de-escalate and they do know what they're doing and th- and that's where i get upset sometimes because you know i i do have tremendous respect for police and i thank god for them and i believe in law and order i do and it is you know i the the, the men and women who who you know have decided to spend their career and their life um you know, saving me, basically, you know, I will be forever grateful to them. You know, like I always and I always was aware of that as a prosecutor. Like, it's easy for me to second guess you here sitting at my desk where my life's not in danger. I don't know what's going to happen, you know. So and and most of the police officers I've dealt with are, frankly, the best people on Earth. But there are times when what they do is atrocious and there are some really bad police officers, just like there are bad DAs and everybody else. And so that's part of my issue is I'm not in that all cops, you know, are bad camp at all. In fact, I'm a huge fan and I want to build them up. I don't want to tear them down, you know, and these people who want to defund the police, et cetera, you know, and, and want to attack the police and you know, and they wonder why, you know, go ahead, attack the police. Guess what's going to happen? Nobody in their right mind is going to go be a police officer that you want to be a police officer. And then look what happens to society. You know, like you got to build people up in life. You got to, you know, support them. And I just think, I don't know. I, I remember like sometimes, you know, you, you see these police officers standing on the street and people just screaming at them and spitting at them and throwing things at them. And I would just, it, I find that atrocious. I would walk, I, and I walk up to them and say, thank you for your service because I do appreciate them. I know what it's like to feel scared and to something to happen and you call 911 and there's no better feeling than a police officer coming and saving you. But that's because I'm white. You know, that's because I'm white. If I'm black, you know, and I'm scared and something's happened, you know, I'm not calling 911 and hoping the police... But just imagine that, like not having uh, a service to call, knowing that that it it could end very badly for you. And that's why it has to change. It has to change and it has to get better. And that's what has to happen. And, And I guess my point is it can change, you know, but we have to do it in a way that's educational and not accusatory and not um, in a way that's, you know, tearing people down. That's just my belief in, in I mean, life. Defund the police was a, was a very bad slogan because it didn't mean that. And it was weaponized by the right to make it look like that the, the, the left wanted to spend less on policing. All they actually wanted to do was, was reallocate funds so that, you know, instead of it being about people showing up in uniform with guns, there was more money being spent on, on kind of community policing or, or mental health services and that, and that type of thing within, within that. Um, Which obviously so, should be done. Yeah. And, and, and that's really the tragedy is that you're against defund the police, but you're for everything defund the police is for. Of course. So it's, it's marketing and it, and it was not done. It was not done very well. Which is my issue to, with wokeism, by the way, yeah. because wokeism, I think, is bad marketing. It's about education. Well, because it's been weaponized, you know, I mean, really, that word came out of um, I think I actually think it, it kind of came out of the black community initially. 
and and was used for very different reasons and it has again it has been weaponized and and you know i'm actually kind of proud of being woke and you certainly have woken up in the descriptions of what has changed for you in that experience with your with your kids and 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 with that you know event that you didn't issue the search warrant for i mean you know that could have been your your woke moment and you know i think we should be proud of those of those moments Green Chef has expanded their menu. Now choose from 30 recipes weekly with the option to mix and match meals from very different dietary preferences in the same box without changing your plan. This means you can order vegan one day and then keto the next. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Bring more flavor to your table this spring with Green Chef's wholesome elevated recipes featuring seasonal organic produce and unique farm fresh ingredients. Also, Green Chef is the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. Green Chef offsets 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. I absolutely love Green Chef because of how easy it is to cook the meals and how delicious each meal is. Our favorite recipe is the parmesan crusted chicken. It's incredible. Go to greenchef.com/weekendshow60 and use code weekendshow60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com/weekendshow60 and use code weekendshow60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. I just want to um talk about you talk about like bad apples and unscrupulous lawyers. Let's look at there's a couple of characters who are working for Donald Trump at the moment who are they're, they're almost like kind of comedy lawyers. You know, if you had to go to central casting and get yourself a kind of mobster style lawyer or a, because these these people are going on TV and they're saying a lot and talking a lot. But, you know, they're actually contradicting themselves in, in many ways. Can you talk a little bit about uh, a couple of these characters who've who've put themselves on the uh, on the front line recently on behalf of Donald Trump and why they might not be the best lawyers at this stage of the investigation? Yeah, well, look, there's at least two times that judges have found that lawyers that it was more likely than not that two of Donald Trump's lawyers uh were either unwittingly committing a crime, you know, being allowed to commit a crime or intentionally uh, committing a crime with him. So as such that the attorney client privilege didn't apply and uh, and had to they had to testify or either provide their emails and documents and communications or testify. I mean, you know, what does that say to you that and I'm not saying they committed crimes, but they could have been unwittingly you know, used to commit crimes because, you know, there's the crime fraud exception to the attorney-client privilege. And I'm, I'm talking about John Eastman, where Judge Carter, you know, found months ago, you know, that it was more likely than not that that a crime occurred. And so there was uh, the attorney, you know, the attorney-client privilege didn't apply there, as well as Evan Corcoran, you know, this week has to has to testify before um, Jack Smith's grand jury, you know, because, again, uh, they, the the judge um, Beryl Howell found that it was more likely than not, uh, or that there was a prima facie case um, that that a crime was you know occurred, and so therefore the so crime. So he knew that there were documents in Mar-a-Lago, even though he'd said to the FBI that they were all returned. Is, is that the well? Story there? It's unclear exactly because um, this is all happening under seal. So all we know is what's being leaked out. But normally any conversations or or documents or emails or anything between the attorney and client is privileged. And so Cor- Evan Corcoran, wouldn't, who, who is all things Mar-a-Lago, wouldn't have to testify before the grand jury or provide this information. But the judge found, I think, in six different areas uh, that he did have to, that he pierced the privilege and said, you know what, it's not secret anymore. Whatever you know, whatever you have has to be turned over because um, because Jack Smith has made a prima facie case that a crime has been committed and and it was either knowingly or unwittingly done by you, Evan Corcoran, but, but certainly Donald Trump committed the crime. And Joe Tacopina is the other one who's a who who you know he's he's like the 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 godfather and there's a, a footage of him 
circulating from going... He went on CNN in 2018, and he basically said that, you know, the whole hush money payment thing with Stormy Daniels is 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 a crime. Yeah, and now look, he I, is defending Trump for that very crime. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be conflicted out of this case. I don't see how he can how he can represent Trump here, given the fact that he represented or at least consulted with. And, um, you know, there, there's an ethical rule 1.9 of, you know, the um, in New York state ethical uh, unified court system rule that um, I think applies here. And it says that you can't, you know, a, a, you can't represent one side and then represent the other, you know, there's a conflict and B, if you have like, confidential information that you got from that you can't then use it on the you know like and 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 you can't harm you you know use it to harm your your second client in the same matter so so there's all kinds of ethical rules here and i i think he'll ultimately be conflicted out of this case and then the the final one of the of the three stooges is alina hubba who is again a kind of tv personality you know these people it's almost like they're doing it for the for the publicity because you know, legally they have very thin arguments. Their their knowledge of the law yeah. is minimal. They're kind of like joke lawyers that you would kind of rent to come and do like a, a lawyerogram at a party. Yeah. Look, I mean, you know, the lawyers I know and the lawyers that practice the way I practice, frankly, is you don't use the law as a tool. You know, the law means something, and the law, the legal system means something. But Donald Trump uses his lawyers to use the law as a tool, and it's a tool yeah. to delay, and it's a tool to just try and mess up, you know, like just try to create havoc in the justice system or the legal system. And most lawyers who are reputable uh, would never do anything like what they're doing, you know, just because but they wouldn't you, represent Trump either, would they? I mean, is that the problem that he can't, he just can't get decent no, representation no, look, because are, he's so obviously guilty? No, no, there. Look, you know, if you're a criminal defense attorney, you don't, you know, most of the people you represent are guilty, right? And yeah. and that's that's what you do. And everybody's entitled to representation. Everybody, even Donald Trump. Um, I think the reason most people wouldn't represent him is because he's not looking for their expertise. You know, he's not looking for their legal judgment. He's looking for them to do his bidding on what he wants. And and like I would never represent, put him aside, I would never yeah. represent someone like him. You know, somebody who hires me, hires me for my expertise and my judgment if they just want to hire me to do their bidding, but it's not something I believe in or that I would do, I would never do that because that's, you know, that's, again, that's sort of being used inappropriately as a tool uh, to um, manipulate and, you know, manipulate the system. And in fact, some of these attorneys are clearly either committing crimes with them knowingly or unwittingly. I mean, I think in font, I think in Georgia, for example, you're going to see people like Rudy Giuliani and others. I think they're going to be charged with crimes. You know, uh, you know the, the the Midas brothers and and Popak will say MAGA stands for Make Attorneys Get Attorneys. You know, yeah. because you know they're either knowingly or unwittingly being used to commit crimes with him, and 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 that's that's why most lawyers I know wouldn't represent him because they're not going to they're not going to do that. Yeah, Giuliani is uh, kind of a, uh, an example of how someone's fall from grace can be so very public. I mean, of course, he was revered he was. as New York mayor, right? He was, and he you know, was re- I let me tell you something. I yeah. lived across the street from the World Trade Center and was home on 9-11. It was the scariest day of my life. And I remember how I felt for the next, for the in the coming days and weeks and months. There was no better voice to hear or watch than Rudy Giuliani. I mean, he was America's mayor. And I was one of the people who just thought he was, you know, so grateful for him. He led us through a very difficult, traumatic time in our nation's history. And I look at him now and I don't recognize, I I don't know what has happened to him. He is, I, I think he may have, 
you know, dementia or something. Like this is not the but same person. Do you think he person. was always that guy? Do you think, or do you think he has changed? Do you think it was a confidence trick? You know, was he a was he? A, you know, I don't know much about his tenure as as mayor, other than as you say, being you know, taking control of the situation after 9-11 and, and, and giving a voice to, to New Yorkers. But, you know, was there always corruption there? Was was there always that kind of bead of, of hair dye running down his face when he yeah. got into hot water? Was you know, Because he's, you know, he has gone so far in, yeah. in, in the wrong direction now that you have to ask, were you always like this? Yeah. You were just better at hiding it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I have no idea. All I know is he's gone insane. Yeah. In, insane is, 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 is an interesting word. I, I still think that his, his press conference at Four Seasons Total Landscaping will go down as one of the great moments in, in, in U.S. political history, not least when he was told that the networks had called the election for Joe Biden whilst he was talking. It was, it was uh, one of those moments. Um, just finally, I know you're not into predictions, and nor am I. That's not what we do. But, you know, where, how is this going to end? Because, you know, obviously this whole thing about Trump being arrested on Tuesday just was Trump in the same way that he was the only one who told people that Mar-a-Lago was being raided in the middle of the night. I mean, that came from Trump. It didn't come from the FBI. So will there be a moment when he's taken out in handcuffs, or is this going to be done in a very kind of respectful and subtle way so as not to draw attention? It normally would be done in a very respectful and subtle way. And that's how these surrenders typically go. I've been involved in many, actually on both sides, as a prosecutor and now as a defense attorney. Walk in, the person, you know, it's not, it's it's very non-dramatic, right? You go in, you get fingerprinted, you get photographed, you go to the judge. This is a non-violent crime, and so bail is not even going to be set. So there's you don't have to worry about anything. You just go, you get arraigned, you plead not guilty, and you walk out the door. And that's it. You know, it's, it's actually not a big deal. Um, my prediction, though, is that he is going to make this a spectacle. If there's a perp walk, it's going to be because he perp walked himself. Yeah. You know, he's going to make this he he wants to be the victim, you know, of this and he's going to milk this to the end. So I, as far as handcuffs and all of that, I have no idea that's going to be the Secret Service who they're the ones who have to keep him safe. Um, they're going to decide exactly the mechanics of how this goes and when and where and how what door he walks in and what other people are allowed in the building. I mean, don't forget, this is a criminal court building filled with lots of people who have committed crimes. And, you but know, he has to go to New York for this. Or, he has or, to go to New York he, for this. Yep. So so would he have to be removed from Mar-a-Lago? Would they have to go and get him from Florida and put him on a plane or would he have to surrender himself? They're going to give him an opportunity to surrender. And that's the best way to do it, because don't forget, law enforcement in New York don't have jurisdiction in Florida. They only have jurisdiction yeah. in New York, so they can't actually arrest him or do anything. I mean, you know, I, I think to myself, he's going to announce the day that he's supposed to surrender, that he's going to say, I'm going to surrender, you know, because I'm I have nothing to fear and I'm going to surrender. But, you know, his clarion call about, you know, violence and destruction and, and protests and death and whatever he said what it, what's going to happen is he's going to def, he's going to tell them what day and time and his people are going to create a barrier so that he can't get out and he's going to say i i would have surrendered i was willing but look at these patriots who don't yeah. want their president to leave and then law enforcement's going to have to figure out what to do after that um probably they'll just give it time to for him to surrender they'll figure out a way to get him out um, but I think he'll milk that for a day or two. And then, uh, at some point he'll show up and, you know, cause I, I don't, I don't see it happening the other way, which is, you know, you apply for a governor's warrant and then with Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, who then goes and applies to Ron DeSantis in Florida for, you know, this, for an extradition, uh, warrant and then he signs it and then he gets extradited. I mean, I don't see that whole thing happening here. Um, I think instead he's just going to turn this into a, a television spectacle because um, he loves that. Yeah. Thank you very much for your prediction, for your expertise and 
it's certainly food for thought during this kind of historic period, really, isn't it? And, I, and I'm pleased that it's the details of the crime that certainly in our conversation are what matters and not the fact that this is an unprecedented moment that seems to be the thing that the media is very keen to, to talk about. Uh, Karen uh, Friedman Agnifilo, thank you for joining us on The Weekend Show. Thank you for having me. I'm Anthony Davis. Please subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast. And don't forget to visit patreon.com slash five minute news for exclusive Patreon only videos, bonus content, live Q&As for members. So subscribe and get more of my work right there on Patreon. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on the five minute news weekend show with Midas Touch. This is Peter. And this is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? On our podcast, just like in our class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcasts.